ideas, inspiration, innovation. This is The Game Changer. And now here's your host, Chickie Fitzgerald. This is Chicky Fitzgerald, and we have a really unique interview today. Uh, we generally are talking about topics for the executive audience. And a couple of weeks ago, I attended a conference here in Tampa and heard Sam Sorbo for the very first time. And she is such a dynamic speaker and so passionate. Uh, about the topics that she was talking about. And there were actually a couple that she, she was mentioning that day, uh, but this one really jumped out at me. The book that we're gonna be talking about today is called Words for Warriors, Fight Back Against Crazy Socialists and the Toxic Liberal Left. Sam, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited oh. to be here with you. Well, I am excited too. And like I said, it's a, a little bit of a departure for us. I, I try to stay away from the, the political topic on this show. But you know what? These days, it is really, really hard to do that. Well, that's because politics is life. Right. And so, you know, when I did my radio show, when I first started my radio show, I covered politics and religion because those are the only two things worth talking about. <laughs> That was sort of my tagline. And, and the reason is because our religion is our worldview. That is sort of where we're going and who we are, right? Who we are, where we're going. But politics really is how we get there. It is the implementation of our worldview in society, in culture. And so this idea of separation of church and state in this, in the, in the sort of esoteric sense, in the, in the ideas realm, is not possible. If you show me a politician who makes policy decisions, irregard, like completely disregarding his worldview, his religion, I'll show you a hypocrite. You either believe right. what you believe, and you make decisions accordingly, or you don't believe that way. Right. Right, Sam. I'd love to hear a bit of your backstory. You know, certainly, oops, I think we have a cat that is going to uh, photobomb us here. That was great. He stays away from me the whole day, but uh, at any rate. So your backstory, there are certainly people who, you know, have followed your career and, or, you know, that of your husband. And then there are others who, you know, sadly don't know anything about you. So I would love for you to just tell us a bit about the Sam Sorbo backstory. I mean, we know where you are today and we're going to talk a lot about that, but what were you like as you were growing up? Were you, were you politically aware? Uh, was faith a really big part of your life as you were growing up? Talk to us about that. So I grew up in uh, basically an irreligious household. Um, I was sent to Saturday school. My heritage is Jewish. And so I was taught some parts of the Bible and some Judaism. Um, and then I basically left that behind. Um, and in my early twenties, I went on a search for God. Uh, and that's what led me to becoming a Christian. So that's my religious background. Um, it was not a very political 
politically charged background. It wasn't that we had conversations about politics. Um, and I ended up having politics that are uh, completely contrary to those of my mother. Um, and so it wasn't until I was older that I started to realize that I'm a staunch conservative. And it's basically because I believe in truth. Um, I will tell you a, sh a quick story that, um, that finally sort of really sort of cemented for me uh, where this came from. When I was in fourth grade, I was, I was a gangly, uh, uh, you know, clumsy young girl, very shy, timid. And I was in our class, class and I had been taught already um, reciprocals and some fractions and stuff. And the teacher put out a, a question to the class. He said, what is 10 divided by one half plus two? And he called on one child and that child said it's seven. And he called on another child. What do you say? You say it's seven. And pretty soon he had all the kids saying, yeah, yeah, it's seven, it's seven. And he got to me, you know, he was like picking them off one by one. You say, you agree? Yeah, you too. And he got to me and I, I was like, no, I, no, I don't. He said, wait, you don't? And I said, <laughs> no, I don't think it's seven. And um, so then he put me on the spot by saying, well, she disagrees. Everyone else says it's seven. Should we throw her out the window? I'll never forget. Oh I was God. scared. I was petrified. I was like, well, that never occurred to me. Um, but the fact is it wasn't seven. It was 22 and, you know, basic mathematics. And I knew the rules of mathematics. And if you divide 10 by one half, you get 20. Uh, and so, so luckily he, he said, what do you say it is? I said, 22. And he said, well, class, she's right. And the whole class was like, oh, wow, how'd that happen? Um, and so that was really my first standing up for truth. But it happened at a very young age. And I, that's just the way, that's just the way I play the game. Wow. And so we're still being threatened to be thrown out the window. It's just a different kind of window these days. <laughs> exactly. Defenestration is the uh, is the correct term, I believe. <laughs> so, Sam, you know, you've spent a lot of time in the entertainment industry. What was it like to be a conservative in the entertainment industry? Well, it wasn't that bad. I mean, uh, you know, I had differing views and I wasn't terribly vocal. And um, I, I think that I was somewhat protected. You know, I modeled for many years and I never did drugs and I was never really exposed to drugs even though they were all around me. Uh, I think people could tell that I'm just a bit straight that way. And so that just wasn't my, my thing. Uh, of course, I never went searching for it. I probably could have found it if that's how I wanted to, to go. And it was the same thing uh, in the political landscape when I was sort of active in Hollywood. Um, and then I got married and I basically walked away from my acting career um, and for, for quite a while. And it was really when my husband started to get vocal and I, I pulled him aside and I said, you, you, you need to understand that uh, if you become vocal, people will shun you. Like this isn't gonna end right. well for your career. And he's like, I don't care. I don't care. I, I believe what I believe and I should be allowed to believe it. And um, we can see sort of what happened from that. So. So that's when, um, when he started to sort of take the gloves off in a sense, or to unmuzzle himself, 
um, I decided that I, I could also. I, I had at that point, I'd started writing. Uh, I was writing articles under a pseudonym. And uh, so then I thought, oh, well, I'll write. Uh, Breitbart, Andrew Breitbart asked me to write for him and said he'd publish anything that I wanted to write. And so I was like, well, I'll pick something that's not, you know, entirely political. This is back when it wasn't as polarized as it be, right. as it has now become. And so I, you know, we didn't, I think the, the, maybe, maybe I was just naive, but many on the right didn't think that it was that bad that people seriously would just cut you off at the knees um, for if you had if you if you had a different point of view, and and part of the part of the reason for that is because that's not how conservatives behave. So as a conservative, if somebody has a different point of view, I pity them because they're stuck in a lie. Like I like right. that's too bad, but there's hope for them because they can learn the truth. But somebody who's stuck in a lie, i.e., a leftist sees a conservative and needs to kill the truth because the truth puts the lie to shame. The truth exposes the lie. And so they need to kill that truth or, or, or silence it somehow. And that's why you have this whole cancel culture, the silencing right. of uh, alternative voices, the silencing of alternative media, the silencing of an alternative narrative, be, which, is, which is sadly what points us in a sense to believing the alternative narrative. So there was a, there was a Facebook page that had 150,000 people talking about the adverse effects of the vaccine. And, you know, I'm, I'm somebody who goes, look, correlation is not causation, right? There's two separate things. Sure. There's maybe a lot of coincidence that people are having the same symptoms have after ha getting the shots or whatever, um, but I, you know, I, I'm somebody who steps back and goes, well, I don't know. That certainly is interesting. I'll take that under advisement or whatever. When Facebook takes down the group and says, you're not allowed to talk, then I go, oh, there must be some truth in that. And right. that's where the left will lose. They can't right. help it because they, they hate the truth so much. And by trying to silence it, they are actually amplifying it. Yeah, I think that that's the really, really interesting thing that's happening. So what what brought you to the place? And, you know, again, you, you've written a lot of different kinds of things. You, you write about the whole topic about educating our kids. Uh, you and Kevin have, have written books about your faith and, you know, sharing that faith and sharing the light. So why this book and why now? Well, it's it's kind of interesting because it, it started like almost six years ago, I'd say. And I thought, I'm going to write a glossary of terms because we're losing our language. They're, they're, they're changing definitions. I don't know if you realize this, but Oxford changed the definition last year of bigot. So now if you prefer chicken to fish, you're a bigot. They just broadened it. They just said, okay, it's this wide. And that allows people to call people bigots when it, I'm sorry, the term doesn't apply. Right. Um, and, and, and other terms. So it really, for me, it started with the word fascism. The idea that fascism is right wing. It's, it's not, it's absolutely not. It has everything in common with communism. They're, they're like sisters. They're not even cousins. They're like twin, they're almost twin sisters, you know, right. uh, fraternal twin sisters. Um, it, they have the same artwork. They have the same color scheme. 
they have the same tactics, bullying and violence. I mean, it has everything to do with the left. And so, and it's government control, which is the left. So why do they, why somehow do we think that it's right wing? And, and then they, and then they say Hitler was a fascist. No, he was a socialist. He was right. left wing. Yes. He, he partnered with Mussolini who was a fascist. Okay. But the idea that Hitler was a fascist and therefore right wing that, that just, I'm sorry, that, that stretches credulity to the point of breaking and, um, and yet they've gotten away with it because if you repeat a lie often enough, it somehow becomes right. the truth, right? That was Hitler's adage. So, so I, I just got so, you know, writing was an outlet for me. I'm like, well, I'm going to write this down. I'm going to write this. Okay. <laughs> and, and I started just coming up with words and then I honestly didn't know what to do with it. And uh, it sat there and it languished. I had lots of other stuff going on. Uh, I actually wrote uh, another book in the meantime, like there was just more stuff to do. I produced a movie, like there was a lot going on. And so this year, this, this before COVID, uh, so I guess not even last year, but the year before, like early, like late in the year, I said, okay, I got to come out with this book. I want it to come out before the election. Like I just put you know, full afterburners going, I was going to get it out before the election. And then my publisher said, we're going to wait until January. And they ended up waiting. I think, I think it launched in February. So it's, so it's still quite recent. Um, but they, they put it on hold because the election takes all of the oxygen in the room, frankly. And so they, that was a wise decision on their part. Um, but it's really, it, it's, it was a lot of fun. It was really kind of an outlet for me. There's a lot of sarcasm and humor in the book. There are a lot of fun words in the book. I don't know if you know what an NPC is. No, I don't. So an NPC is a non-playing character. Uh, it's a term from video games where a game developer will put a character somewhere instead of like just a sign. And the character says to find the stone find the throne or whatever. Right. And, and then, you know, your character is interacting with another character. So that's kind of cool. Your character says, well, where's the throne? And the, the NPC says to find the stone, find the throne or whatever, uh, because they're only programmed to say a few things, right? They're right. just there. They're not players. They're just there to give information or to send you on, on your way. Um, and I realized we're living in a world of NPCs. We're living in a world of people who have been programmed to say the things that they say. And they're, they're literally programmed. And that's why, so my, my, uh, uh, my passion is education. Um, my passion is to empower parents to bring their children out of the system and educate them themselves. Um, that's, that's, that's my mission field, if you will. Right. And you have a, you have a new name for that. I mean, homeschooling perhaps has had a bad rap. So, so you actually are taking control of those words and giving it a new word. Share well, I figure if they can do it and redefine words and rename things and, you know, I can too, uh, what's good for the goose, but, um, but it's more than that. It's because we are not educated. If you went to public school, like I did, you were schooled. You weren't educated. You got your education after school, by and large. And, um, and, and that is true more often than not, uh, in, in anecdotally in all of my experience. But 
more than that, you've been schooled. You've been schooled not to ask questions. You've been schooled to ask permission before you ask a question, which basically boils down to don't ask questions, don't question authority, obey your, your, authority, your authority figures, follow the leader. We've all been schooled. You've been schooled that children have to go to school to get an education. You've been schooled in that. And so it's very difficult for, for a parent to think, well, maybe I'll just keep them home. Oh, you know, perish the thought because they've been schooled to believe that their children have to go into an institution to learn things. And so I'm, I'm changing, I'm, I'm rebranding homeschool because it's not home. We do homeschool everywhere and it's not school, it's education. And so I just call it self-teaching. I like to call it self-teaching because it, it unhinders the parent because they are not the teacher. They are the lead learner, if you will. They're the guide. And it empowers the student because then when, when you ask a, a fourth grader, um, oh, where do you go to school? The fourth grader can say, oh, I'm self-taught. That empowers them. They're taking right. ownership and responsibility. And so when I, when, I, when I came up with that, I was like, oh, I really like that. And I've been, I really labored over what to call it because I want right. to change the name. Well, it is powerful. And, you know, I didn't think about the, the socialization of that, of what happens when you're in a social situation and someone asks, right? Because my kids happen to go to a, a Christian private school here in Tampa because the public schools are so bad. And, you know, like most parents, I never thought about being qualified, uh, you know, to play that role in their lives. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, highly intelligent, but that didn't necessarily translate into the level of patience that I thought would be necessary. But, you know, in our world at our school. So hold the- on, I, I, I'm going to, because this is, this is fun, if you don't mind. Oh, not at all. The level of patience, that's a big one for parents. Oh, I don't have the patience. And, and your kids are grown. So we can sort of role play this because right. this isn't at you or intended to you or whatever. But, um, you know, patience is a virtue. Right. <laughs> like maybe God gave you your children to teach you patience. Like, right. Do you know what I mean? Like what did, did, does the teacher have a PhD in patience? Is that how it works? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like, we're so programmed yes. to, to try to fit into the system of my child goes to school that we come up with these, these so-called arguments that really have no merit. Um, I, I can't teach my kid fourth grade math. Are you kidding me? Fourth grade <laughs> math. That's maybe fractions. You can't do fractions. And by the way, did you know there's a book <laughs> and all the answers are literally right there in the book. Like this right. isn't rocket science. And even if it were, there's a YouTube about it. There's a, you know, there's a Khan Academy about it. Like, but we've taken the education of children completely out of the realm of parents. And what, and what that's done, sadly, is it's removed parenting from the parent. Yes. And so the parents think that the children will be better socialized, what, with a group of sixth graders? They're going to learn manners? Are you kidding me? <laughs> You know, like, like all of these arguments are so batty now that I I've been out for more than a decade now. Right. So, so I'm, I, 
I'm completely dry. I got out of the aquarium, I'm breathing air and I'm completely dry now <laughs> and I'm still learning. Right. But the rest of the parents are still stuck in the water going, how does she breathe air? You know, I have parents, they say, oh my gosh, you've homeschooled all this. Oh, wow. Like praises. And I'm like, no, my gosh, I'm lazy. I didn't want to have to get up in the morning and make my kid lunch and get him to, you know, get your shoes on. Let's go. I didn't want that. Right, so right. I skipped that. I'm the lazy one. It's so much easier when you keep your children home with you. Well, I, I love that perspective, Sam, because we, we have so much responsibility for raising these little humans. Right. And, and my kids are both in college right now. And, you know, it's, it's this transition time where we have to rely on, on all of that foundational stuff that, that was laid down. Now, my kids did happen to have a, a good education, but they had some bad stuff in that too. I was going to mention the, you know, kind of the role of the homeschooled kids. They were all the athletes, right? Cause they came and they were on the sports teams of the Christian schools. Um, you know, so right. that they, they could do that. And, and quite often they were the kids who were going to go on and, you know, try to get scholarships on golf and whatever. Um, you know, so we had a lot of interaction with them and the parents. And, but I do remember having that, you know, uh, again, you know, the homage to them because they were somehow how better than, than I was. But, but I do know that, that I could have done it. Right. I, I chose not to do it. Um, but I, I, you know, I really think that educating parents on what the end to end responsibilities of parenting really entail. And, and part of it is this whole uh, the definition thing that that words for warriors addresses and really preparing our kids for going out into the real world, right? And, and having their own worldview and not just a, a, a mini me version of my worldview. Uh, and, and that, I'll tell you, that has been one of the hardest things about watching my kids go off to college. I think I shared with you the other day, uh, my daughter just finished a five-year master's um, in psychology in Warsaw, Poland, and was surrounded by, by atheists, not just people who, you know, were not very religious, but I mean, religious about being atheists. Yes, right? exactly. And, and so your ability to master words and to unpeel uh, discussions and, and to fight back, or, and, and I, I don't even like to think about it being fighting against something, but really fighting for truth, which is where you started in, in talking to us about who you were at a young age. Yeah. So, you know, my book words for warriors is dedicated to the word because in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And so anybody who is attacking words like the left is, is clearly anti-God. This is a spiritual battle. Yes. Um, and I feel like uh, you know, by and large, conservatives haven't really uh, acknowledged the battle that we are in. And so, yeah, we, you know, I, we, we tend to shy away from using terms like fight and, you know, battle and wage war and stuff, but there is a war that's, that's raging yes. right now. And the, it's the war over language. Um, so, and, and the, the real problem is, you know, I adhere to the truth. So don't try to make me lie. 
with your words, with the words that you've taken, change the meanings of, and then tell me that I have to use them. A man cannot become a woman. That doesn't right. happen. And if it did, then when we got Caitlyn Jenner, the whole world would have celebrated a female decathlete winning the gold medal in 1976. But that didn't happen because everybody knows that in 1976, despite um, despite the, the current Jenner claiming that she had always been a woman, despite that, that was a man who won the decathlon, right. not a woman. And so don't try to tell me, oh no, it was a woman the whole time when you yourself don't believe it. And of course, that's the problem that atheists have is they claim to be atheists, but they live like they're, they live under Christianity. They live like they're Christians. They live with values that aren't theirs, that they've borrowed. Uh, They've borrowed our morality and we're trading on, on the morality that we've inherited without acknowledging its source. So if you believe that rape is wrong, and I do, I know that I have that stance because I understand that God has created us equal and endowed us with the right to our own person, right? That's why rape's wrong. You're not allowed to take my person. It belongs to me. But for an atheist, why is rape wrong? Right. And, and, And let's go one step further. To a school child who is being taught that, um, that survival of the fittest is the law of the land because evolution, why is rape wrong? Why is killing wrong? And that's why the Columbine shooters were wearing uh, Darwin t-shirts because killing isn't wrong when you're an evolutionist. Right. It's survival of the fittest. So, you know, we need to, and, and so, you know, I try to, I guess I see my, my, my mission as sort of bringing truth and laying it out in front of you and, and trying to confound people who are lost in the lie. Goethe said, the truth is a very narrow path and stupidity a never ending jungle. And we are very lost in the jungle right now in our culture because we, in order to avoid ostracization, uh, or just, you know, cancel it, cancellation or, you know, any of these other things, losing our jobs, losing our livelihoods, losing whatever. We, we have a fear because we're so beholden to the materials, right? That we're willing to corrupt our sense of our virtue. We're willing to corrupt our morality in order to just get along. And it's, and, and here's the other thing that I say, Uh, And in regards to the book too, because the book is really just, I mean, it's, it's just a a catalog for us to sort of have a gut check with, with truth. Right. Um, And, and like I said, there's a lot of humor in it because we can be happy warriors. That's another term that's in the book. Gaslighting is in the book. You know, we need to know these terms because we need to be able to identify them. Right. Right. Um, So, so by and large, uh, the the ultimate message that I have is that um, the second crime scene is always worse than the first. So you tell a child if they're being abducted into the white van that they do everything not to have to get into the van because it's bad now. Right. And you scream and kick and fight and punch and and you know all that stuff just not to get into the van because when you're in the van, 
and the van takes you someplace, that crime scene is going to be much worse. And my warning is we are in the first crime scene right now because by, by forcing us to abandon our morals, abandon our virtue, to lie knowingly right now, there's no telling where this will end. Right. You know, and it is so surreal to me. And, and I can't tell you how many times I've said to folks, you know, down is up, up is down, you know, right is wrong. Uh, everything has been so turned on its head. And, and everyone just pretending that everything's okay. Yeah. And I, Riots I in the summer, yeah. good. Riots during COVID with no face masks, good. Some people at the Capitol who got out of hand, who we have yet to find out who they really were, right? Because right. that's being withheld. Who shot Ashley Babbitt? Uh, we don't know. Um, those, that thing, that was the worst day in American history, bar none, including 9-11, including Pearl Harbor, including the Civil War. What are you kidding me? Yeah. That's a lie. Right. And we ought right. to be calling it out for what it is right. and not just sitting back and, and turning on NBC again. Like I'm calling for people turn off cable news, turn off, turn off all of that, find alternate news sources, find alternate programming. And by the way, um, I said this on my show today because uh, as you know, I do a podcast. Um, I heard this on another podcast actually, that the laugh track is a catechism. And I thought, okay, that's interesting. I hadn't thought, I, it, of course it is. I hadn't really thought of it before because I'm thinking that the program itself is the catechism. So Rachel Green on Friends can have a baby out of wedlock, continue her career, doesn't even have a nanny, but between her and Ross and her friends, the baby's gonna grow up just fine. That's make-believe, that's leftist, you know, right. propaganda, right? I get that. But the laugh track softens us to accept it. The laugh track is catechizing us. The laugh track tells us that it's okay to laugh at one joke and the other jokes, no. And, and that softens us. And so that's like, you know, you, you've heard the term, oh, they call it programming for a reason. It is programming. That's exactly what it is. And we need to turn that off. You know, I, I go on um, Amazon or Netflix or whatever. I can, there's, there's almost nothing I can watch anymore because it's all either gratuitous sex or gratuitous violence. Oh, exactly. And I'm not willing to put those images in my head. It's not worth it. Pick up a classic book. I just, I, I'm reading Gulliver's Travels again. I know oh, wow. I read it in, in grade school. I know I did. But I'm reading it again and it is phenomenal. It's so much better when you, and I, and I highly recommend, I, I, you know, yes, get my book, get, get words for warriors. Absolutely. And buy one for a friend, please. Right. But also pick up a copy of Gulliver's travels and enjoy because it's amazing. It's, it's, it's so insightful and it's so sar sar sardonic, I guess. I mean, it's, uh -huh. you know, and the classic literature just has it in spades over everything else that's happening. So you got Gulliver's Travels, you got 1984, you should really revisit that one. Um, Animal Farm is a great one to revisit right now because it will empower you. It right. will give you the strength to stand up to the bullies 
And that's what we need. And if you really want to get, get deep in it, read Hang Noor's A Cambodian Odyssey and um, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, uh, the, uh, the Gulag Archipelago, because that book is this, that those books, those books show us the second crime scene. Hmm. That's what those books do. So you can glimpse the second crime scene before you get into the van. But if you get in the van, that's on you. Right, right. So Sam, who did you write this book for? Who, who did you want to have buying this book? Well, it's, it's really for thinking people. If you are a thoughtful person, this book will give you power. If you are a thoughtful person, this, this book will give you power. And, and that's actually what I've discovered from uh, countless emails from people thanking me for writing the book and giving them the tools because that's, that's what it does. It, gives you, it, it shows you what the words actually mean so that when somebody is using the words wrongly, you can counter that. And the other thing is it's, it, it gives you some humor about what's happening so that you, so that you can um, laugh a little bit about what's happening while you're fighting back. We, we are called to be happy warriors in the tradition of Andrew Breitbart, who um, wasn't the first to say it, but uh, certainly said it with uh, vehemence that, uh, that politics is downstream from culture. Um, it gives you, it just gives you some of the tools that you can use to, to stand up. And we ought to be standing up for truth because if we lose the truth, if we lose our language, then, then we are lost indeed. Your language is your ability to think. Language well, is thought. It's, they're, 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 they're interchangeable. Your language is your ability to think. If you're not allowed to say words, then you're not allowed to think them. And that's restriction of freedom of thought. That is, that's exactly what that is. And the other thing that I want to say before we go, because I know we're running out of time, um, I love that the left is the left is always the one screaming for tolerance, right? right. What's the least tolerant thing that we have, Chicky? The <laughs> least tolerant thing we have is truth. Our, our, exactly. Our the truth won't tolerate a lie. Right. The truth just is the truth. You can say that gravity's wrong, and you can jump at the twenty-seventh story of a building. But in the end, gravity will win, right? right? And that's the fact with the truth. And so as long as we stand in the truth, we know that we will win because the truth wins. But every time that you hear the left insisting on your tolerance, know that they're insisting on a lie because the, the truth never asks for tolerance. Right. The truth right. just is. It's up to you whether you want to accept it or not. They've chosen not to accept it. That's on them. Well, Sam, I am just so grateful for you for taking the time to share your heart because that's really what this is about. It isn't about a book or uh, really anything but the truth. And, and I could tell when you were standing on the stage here in Tampa, how not, not just how passionate you are about it, but how much it comes you know, from your very core right? This is who you are. And I think it's really interesting when you talk about when Kevin uh, started speaking out and you kind of uh, had that protection of wanting to protect him. But what you were really saying is if you're going to go for it, go all the way, right? If you're going to speak out, 
do it all the way. And this book is a tool for those people who want to be able to defend the truth, but just, they just don't know how. Right. I, I don't know. I, so I don't want to put the onus on people that if they decide to speak up, they've got to keep going and do it all the way because it's not that heavy a lift. It's not do the whole thing. You're not eating the entire elef- elephant. Just start. Right. Try it here. Try it there. Push back a little bit. Push back a little bit more. Don't push back. Say, oh, you know what? Today I'm exhausted. I'm not going to bother. I'm just going (laughs) to put the mask on and go shopping and, you know, truth be damned, Uh, you know, that kind of a thing, right? You don't have to make this one monolithic decision. um, But if you start speaking truth, it's addictive. Right. Uh, And that's the good news, right? So So you start and then you know. And so I really want to encourage people, start small, that's fine. You don't have to, you know, I was telling people back way back when, because masks don't work. Now we're, now we're discovering all the, all the bacterial problems with the overuse of masks and the infections that people are getting and stuff. But um, way back when I was saying to people, um, you don't have to wear the mask unless they ask you to wear the mask. So just don't wear the mask, walk in. And then when somebody asks you, Either pretend that you forgot, oh, oh, God, I forgot, I wasn't wearing a mask, let me go get it, right. or leave. Like, you can make that decision, and, and in fact, you know, I'm a bit of a coward, so I would make the decision before I got out of my car. I'd be like, okay, if they ask me to put the mask on, is it worth it? And I would decide, yes, I'm going to stay in the store, or no, I'm going to leave, it's fine. Uh, and And then... And then I'd get through the entire store. Nobody would ask me to take, to put a mask on. Somebody would actually see me take their mask off. Yay, it's a victory, right? So it's just these small steps and you can do it. You can be one of these culture warriors, even just in a, in a, in a small playing field. But I do also want to get in that if you want my book and you don't want to go to that big A thing uh, (laughs) in the sky, you can go to samsorbo.com. And you'll find all of my homeschooling resources there. Also my homeschool book, uh, They're Your Kids. Um, and that's right, we're calling it self-teaching. See, even I have a hard time because it's so ingrained. Uh, but home education is where it's at, parents. Um, and I know you think you can't. And I'm here to convince you that you can. I'm starting a new TV show on Epic TV. That's E-P-O-C-H. I'm sure you're familiar with the Epic Times. I think it's the fastest growing publication in the world right now. And they're starting a, a television platform. Oh, nice. And I'm very excited because I'm starting my, uh, my educational, it's, a, it's, a, it's called Schools Out with Sam Sorbo. Let's just put it that way. So I'm very excited because I'm going I'm to guide parents out of the system and into the truth. Well, I love that. And uh, as I shared with you when we were first talking, uh, I want to have you back on, we're going to meet on the Executive Girlfriends group where we have the the ear of uh, the ones who normally take responsibility uh, (laughs) for their kids' education. And we're going to talk about They're Your Kids um, and also the devotional that you've got called Teach From Love, which uh, I absolutely, uh, the cover of that one is just, you know, it makes you want to give it as a gift. It's so beautiful. Um, 
but Sam, I, I really want to encourage folks uh, to listen to your podcast also, and they can find all of that on samsorbo.com, right? Yeah, the podcast is also, so Mojo 50 Radio carries my radio show. It is podcast also, everywhere podcast, Spreaker, uh, Google, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Um, I'm missing one. It's also up on YouTube. Uh, it's also up on Rumble. And Kevin and I have a community at sorbos.locals.com where we post some uh, exclusive content behind uh, a payroll because we got to figure out how to pay the bills. <laughs> so right, if you want right. to go there, uh, some of my shows are up behind the paywall there um, in the community, sorbos.locals.com. And also I'm newly on Liftable TV. So Liftable TV is a, is a new Christian programming or you know, sort of a television platform with some great, uh, there's some great talent there also. So you can go to liftable TV slash Sam Sorbo. And if you subscribe on my page, then it just makes me look better. So do that. Well, great. And uh, as I had mentioned, we are launching a new platform in September called My Patriot Marketplace. And we are going to have a Sam Sorbo page that also helps people find all of your your stuff. And uh, we're going to showcase uh, your books and some other things. So I am really excited about that. And I'm hoping you make it to Tampa next week. And if you do, I will see you then. Yep. I'll see you then. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sam. Take care. You've been listening to The Game Changer. Ideas. Inspiration. Innovation. With Chickie Fitzgerald. Like what you just heard? Visit c-suiteradio.com. C-Suite Radio. Turning the volume up on business.